0: Thank you, Youth Praise Band. Would you give them another big hand? So thankful for you leading us in worship. I was thinking about Luke on the drums and Jackson on the keys, Brianna on lead. I mean, doing a wonderful job. Thank you for leading us to this point. We're in Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. And uh, before we get started, I just had this one thing on my mind. You know, yesterday... We had the service for John Henry, and I'm going to miss John Henry in this service particularly. Because out of all the people that come, he's the only one that ever says what? Amen. amen. And now, I'm going, to, I'm going to train you today. Okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to count to three, and I want you just all to say amen, and you can know that you can do it, okay? On three. One, two, three. Amen. amen. Now, you can do it, okay? You're, you're ready to go. You've been trained and equipped. So, you know, it's always encouraging when somebody urges you on, when you you have really hit a point that's absolutely true, and we need that encouragement. Well, this morning we're talking about having evidence to believe, and so many people uh, today say there's just not enough evidence for them to have faith. Now, I want to tell you, I'm not going to give you all the evidence for faith, so don't think that's this kind of sermon. But it's not that we don't have enough evidence to believe, it's what we do with the evidence that we do have. You know... I've shared this story with you before, but Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, you know those two, and they were going on a camping trip, and it was going to be a wonderful event. So they made all the arrangements, they traveled to the ideal spot, they made out their campsite, they set up a camp, they built a fire, and they cooked dinner, everything was going great. And after dinner, they laid down to go to sleep that night. Some hours later, Holmes woke up and he nourished his faithful friend, nudged him, he said, Watson... Look up at the sky, tell me what you see. And Watson says, well, I see millions of stars. He says, well, what does that tell you? He said, well, astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and possibly billions of planets. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does that tell you, Holmes? Holmes is quiet for a moment. He said, Watson, you idiot, someone has stolen our tent. (laughs) So often we miss the forest for the trees, but you know, we all live by faith. No matter whether you believe in God or you do not believe in God, we all... Live by a certain level of faith. You cannot live in this world without a certain level of faith. We all have some type of faith, and to a certain degree, you live by faith. I thought about the guys. Think about it. In the morning, when your wife, uh, you, you wake up to that, uh, her cooking breakfast, you get all excited. She's got eggs, and sausage, and grits, pancakes, juice, coffee, everything. You just smell a Sweet aroma and you sit down to eat that delicious breakfast, you have faith that she hasn't put poison in your food. We all have a level of faith. When you go to the doctor and he examines you and he diagnoses you, you have faith that his diagnosis is correct. You have faith when he scribbles a few things on that piece of paper that there's something really to that. You have faith that when you take that prescription to the pharmacist, that they're going to be able to read it And they're going to be able to fill it correctly. You have faith. You also have faith that whoever was manufacturing that medicine, wherever they did it, that they put the right, right compounds when they were putting it all together. You have faith in what's being done. You don't see it. You don't see all the people involved, but you have faith. We all have faith. When you go to the gas station, you have faith that what's in that pump is gasoline and not water. You have faith. When you go to the post office, you have faith. There are a lot of people who handle that letter, and once you stamp it and you drop it in that box, you don't know how, but somehow it makes its way to its destination. There are a lot of hands on it. And you have faith that it's going to arrive at its destination. And we all live by faith. And So in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, we see that there's an evidence for us to believe. Let's read it together, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Now the first thing I want you to notice is that we have a confidence of faith. We have a confidence. Verse 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now what is faith? Is it positive thinking? Is it somehow like a name it and claim it faith? Will you just name it and claim it? Is it a a faith that we have in faith? Is that what faith is? You know, I heard about a little league baseball player who told his mom one day, he said, I think we're going to lose the baseball game today. She said, son, you need to think positively. He said, okay, I'm positive we're going to lose the baseball game today. So faith is not positive thinking. She wanted him to put faith in faith. But... Faith must be in something that's worth putting your faith in. See, faith is more than just the act. Faith is also the object. And the object of our faith is what really makes the difference. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now that word substance has a meaning. It means having confidence in the things that we hope for. We have a confidence in what we hope for. Faith is being confident of the things that we hope for. It's not a hope-so faith. It's a no so faith. And you say, well, it sounds like a hope-so-faith to me because I can't see God. Why is it not a hope-so-faith? Well, you know, there are a lot of things that we believe in that we can't see, aren't there? I mean, think about it. When you go home and you walk into a dark room, what do you need? You need light. Now, on the wall, there's a switch. And there's wires in the wall. And there's power going through those wires. And so you just kind of mosey over to that switch and you flip it on. And what happens? The light comes on. Now, do you believe in electricity? Yes, you do. But can you see electricity? No, you cannot. You cannot see electricity, but you believe in it. Why? Because when you turn on the switch, the light came on. You don't see electricity, but you see the evidence of electricity. You know, when we think about God, we might not be able to see God tangibly, but we see the evidence for God. Now we can't see God, but we see the evidence for God. 1 Peter 1.8 says this, Whom having not seen you love, talking about Jesus, though now you do not see Him, yet believing. Faith is believing without seeing. You know what faith is? Faith is taking God at His word. Faith is believing that when God says it, it's true. We believe that there's, the Word of God is true because we've seen by experience the power of God's Word. You know, a number of years ago, I was taking my youth rock climbing, and we would um, go to a place called Looking Glass Rock in Brevard, North Carolina. And so it's kind of intimidating to scale a rock face. I mean, you have to put a harness on to climb this rock face. And so then you put that harness on, and then you, you have a rope, and I wish I'd have brought some of that rope. It's not that big. You'd put that rope through that harness. And then you have another guy who's, who has a, a, what they call a belay device. That belay device is to keep you from falling if you slip off the rock. It prevents a major fall. And so then there's somebody who's controlling that belay device. And so you've got to trust that belay device. You've got to trust the person who's operating it. But then you have to trust the rope. Because you're climbing. And then at the very top of that mountain, there's an anchor point that that rope goes through. And that anchor is really what's holding you on the rock. So when you start rock climbing, you're trusting a lot of things. You're trusting that harness. You're trusting that anchor point won't pull out of that rock. You're trusting the person who's on the belay device and hoping they're not being distracted. You're trusting that rope. And I remember scaling that rock face one day. And I scaled it got to the top, which is always the, you know, the goal, right? You get to the top and you touch the buckle and you're on your way back down. And the guide says, okay, just lean back on the rope and I'll let you down. Now you're just about 200 feet up, no problem. Just lean back and I'll lower you down. And while I'm going down on that rope, thoughts go through my mind. I said, I just put my life in this rope. I trusted this rope for my life. I'm trusting his harness. I'm trusting that anchor. I'm trusting that guy on the belay device. And then it dawned on me how much trust I put in a rope. But when it comes to putting my trust in God, sometimes I struggle. And let me just say this God is a lot more trustworthy than a rope. God is a lot more trustworthy than a harness, and certainly than somebody on a delay device. God is more trustworthy. And yet, sometimes when we get in those difficult times, we have a hard time trusting God. But look at the things that we put our trust in that are a lot less reliable than God. Faith means that you put all your weight on Christ. Faith means that you put all your weight on the crucified Christ as the forgiveness of your sin. That's what faith is. We put all our confidence in Him. But let me ask you this morning, what are you putting your confidence in? Are you putting your confidence in good works like so many people do? I mean, so many people, they might not say it out loud, but in the back of their mind, they think it. They think, you know what, I'm better than my neighbor. And they might even say, you know, I'm even better than the pastor. That doesn't take much to do. I'm better than the pastor. You might be thinking to yourself, you know, my good certainly outweighs my bad. And that might be true. Maybe your good does outweigh your bad. But let me ask you this. How do you get rid of the bad? Because we all have bad in our lives, don't we? How do you erase the stain of sin on your life? How do you get rid of it? I'm used to have bad in your life. I don't know if you remember a few years ago There were some mysterious deaths that took place at a resort in the Dominican Republic. Some people would order a drink, and then they would get sick, and sometimes people would die. Well, let me just ask you this. Let's say you go to the restaurant, and you order a glass of water. And that waiter comes up, he says, you know, I've got your glass of water. It's 98% water and just 2% poison. The good outweighs the bad, but would you drink it? Well, that's what it is for you. You can be 98% good and just 2% bad and you'll never get into heaven. Because you have got to get rid of the bad. God will not let sin into heaven. And only through Christ's death on the cross can we remove the stain of sin in our lives. And whenever you put your faith in Christ, you're putting all your confidence on the cross. So we have a faith in which we have a confidence. We have a confidence in our faith, but we also have a content of our faith. Look back there at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the evidence of things not seen. Now some of you know I like to watch investigative discovery when I, when I get an opportunity. I love to watch them try to figure out how to solve crimes. And when there's a murder, they'll have like a crime scene investigator. And his job is to gather all the evidence of that crime scene and not miss one thing so that he can begin to see who that evidence is pointing to. And it will eventually point to the perpetrator. Well, the Bible says that we have evidence and faith is the evidence of things that we don't see. You know what you do with evidence? You take evidence to court to prove your case. That's what evidence is for. Now, we don't have a blind faith. We don't have a superstitious faith, but we have a faith that's built on evidence. And I'm not going to try to unpack all that. I'm going to give you some concepts. But some of you might remember the 1970s sitcom, All in the Family. If you remember that, just let me see. Okay, a lot of you remember All in the Family. Okay, that's Archie Bunker and Edith. You know, they talked about things on that particular show that they weren't even talking about on TV before that. For example, one day Archie and Edith were talking about God. And their son-in-law, who was the atheist, is Mike. He's sitting there. He said, what God? And then... Archie's about to respond to that when his daughter says, Yeah, Dad, what God? Archie says, "You we weren't raised up that way, little girl. You remember that? And then she said, I know, Daddy, but we just don't see evidence of God. You know, a few years ago, I was walking down the beach at the Isle of Palms. And as I was walking down the beach, I saw this log on the beach. And there were shells that were just lined up neatly on top of that log. Now, when I got there, I didn't see anybody around. And you know, I could have assumed that the wind and the waves just kind of worked together and they just stacked those shells in a line just like that. Would you believe that happened? Would you believe that the wind and waves just put those... I asked Sarah that when I came this morning. She said, I would not believe that. I said, okay. You wouldn't believe it. Why? Because you would think that common sense says somebody must have put that there. It didn't just happen by time and chance. And I put a little post on my Facebook page that basically said, you know, I was just walking down the beach and you'd never believe it. I just saw these shells sitting on a log. Nobody was around. It must have been just time plus chance plus matter. Uh, It just happened. That's what people think. But we know better. Because common sense tells us the most plausible explanation is that somebody put it there. A few years ago, one of the world's most famous atheists, his name was Anthony Flew, he came to the conclusion that God does indeed exist based on DNA evidence. Because DNA is so complex. And this is what he wrote. DNA has shown by the almost unbelievable complexity of arrangements which are needed to produce life that intelligence must have been involved in getting these extraordinarily diverse elements to work together. So in other words, Anthony Flew was simply saying, when I look at human DNA, I know that didn't happen by chance. Somebody must have put it that way. So he knew that there was some kind of God who must have put it together. Now you might choose to believe that there's no God, but it won't be because of a lack of evidence. It's not that people have searched for God and found no evidence. It's that God has revealed himself and people don't like what they see. And so they refuse to believe in the existence of God. It's not an evidence problem. It's a moral problem. It's a moral problem. Thomas Nagel, the professor of philosophy at New York uh, University, he said, I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. See, it's a willful moral problem. Then Aldous Huxley, who many of you have probably read, was an Oxford-trained philosopher he said, I'm going to take science's view because I want this world not to have meaning. A meaningless world frees me to pursue my own erotic and political desires. Sometimes I'll hear an atheist say, well, you know, can you prove that there's a God? You ever heard that question? Can you prove that there's a God? Well, I can't put God under a microscope and test Him. No, I can't prove that there's a God through the scientific method. But Hebrews 11:6 says, but without faith... It is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. See, God requires us to accept him by faith. That is the prerequisite, it's faith. But I would just let you know this science cannot disprove God any more than I can prove God. You know, the Bible, you know, the Bible doesn't even give a defense for the existence of God, doesn't even give it a defense. The Bible just simply says, in the beginning, God. There's no defense given. In the beginning, God. Now the intellectual, the scientist, the atheist will say, well, you know, you can't prove there's a God, so you're putting your faith in a myth. But I have a question too. And my question is this, can you prove there is no God? Have you exhausted the universe and discovered there is no God anywhere? Because I do believe that the burden of proof is on them. I think the evidence is in our favor. Because I'd ask this question, why do we have something rather than nothing? You know, a five-year-old child can stump the smartest philosopher. Wouldn't you agree with that? You know what they'll do? Why? Why? Why beauty? Why trees? Why water? Why love? Why do we have something rather than nothing? I believe an atheist has to have a lot greater faith than I do. And one of those atheists was a man by the name of Stephen Hawking, one of the most brilliant scientists in our generation. He was a great man of faith, but his faith was not in God. His faith was in the universe. And during an interview with Diane Sawyer, Stephen Hawking was asked, if the universe could give you one answer, if you could ask the universe just one question, what would it be? Do you know what this brilliant scientist said? He said, I would like to know why the universe exists. And why there's something rather than nothing. You see, an honest atheist will have to admit that they don't know the answers to the most fundamental questions in life. There are four questions that everyone in this room will ask at some point. You're going to ask, where did I come from? That's my origin. Number two, you're going to ask, why am I here? What's my purpose in life? That has to do with meaning. Meaning. You're going to ask, how shall I live while I'm here? That deals with your morality. And at some point, you're going to ask, where am I going? That's your destiny. Every one of us asks those questions. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. All of us ask those questions at some point. And the answer to those questions is not found in a science lab. It's found in God's Word. Let me give you an example. All of us want to know those answers, right? Right? I heard about a little girl who went to her mother one day and said, Mama, where do people come from? And she said, well, God created Adam and Eve, and they had children, and that's that's where we all came from. A few days later, she went to her dad and said, "You know, where do do people come from? He said, well, honey, uh, over time, over long periods of time, thousands and thousands and thousands of years, people just evolved from monkeys over time. Well, the daughter was confused, and she went back to her mother. She said, you told me that God created everything. Dad says that we evolved. He said how, she said, how can these things be? She said, well, that's simple, honey. I told you about my side of the family. He told you about his side of the family. I mean, we laugh, but we know there's something rather than nothing in this world, right? I know there's something rather than nothing because God's, God's Word says that in the beginning, God created Stephen Hawking was a man of faith, but his faith left him empty because he could not answer the most fundamental question in life Why is there something rather than nothing? He looked to the created universe rather than the creator God. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But you know, people are always looking for evidence for God, don't they? You know what people say? I want a sign. From God. You ever heard that? Why doesn't God just give us a sign? Why does He hide Himself? In Mark chapter 8, verse 12, the Pharisees wanted a sign. And Jesus said this, Why does this generation always seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. You ever wonder why Jesus didn't say, Well, let me just give you a sign and help you believe. Why did He just say, No, I'm not going to give you a sign? Because it wouldn't matter what sign He gave. They still would never have believed. If God formulated the clouds in the sky and spelled your name, you'd find some reason to explain it away. No evidence will ever be enough. Let me give you an example. In John chapter 6, Jesus fed the multitudes. you remember that story? Now we believe that there were 500, the Bible says there were 5,000 people that he fed, but we believe that was just the men. We, we don't believe it counts the women and the children. Some people believe that there could have been as many as 15,000 to 25,000 people that Jesus fed on the mountainside that day. Now Jesus fed them with two fish and what? Five loaves. That's a pretty significant sign, isn't it? Do you know what happened immediately after that? In John chapter 6, verse 30, this is what they said to Jesus. After that, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? That doesn't shock you? You know what Jesus said in John 6:36? But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. So it's not about the signs. It's not the lack of evidence. It's an unwillingness to believe. And then again in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, the Bible says that some scribes and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want a sign. You ought to go look up how many times they did that. And Jesus said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah, the prophet. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And let me just say this. If the resurrection is not proof enough for you, there will not be enough. God has revealed Himself through creation. He has revealed Himself through His Word. He has revealed Himself through His resurrection. It's not a lack of evidence. Now, we have a confidence of our faith. We have a content of our faith. Let me give you a third thing. There's a comprehension of our faith. Look at verse 3. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. You ought to just write underscore, we understand by faith. Verse 3 is talking about the origin of the universe. He's talking about the beginning of the cosmos by faith, we understand how the worlds were framed. Do you know what cosmos, what words we get from cosmos? Have you ever heard the word cosm- cosmopolitan? You know what that means? You know, cosmos means to put things in order, to arrange. Cosmo- cosmetology is when you arrange the hair. And you put it in order, right? Some of you did that before you came. Another word we get is Cosmetic. You know what that means? Ladies do that a lot. They arrange the face. They put it in order before they come to church. And so we know by faith we comprehend that God put this universe in order. By faith we comprehend that He framed the world. We live in an orderly universe that does not happen accidentally. Someone had to set those laws up to govern our universe. We have these laws of nature. That happened by design. Somebody did that. But nobody was present at creation, so we have to believe it by what? By faith. God asked Job in Job 38.4, He says, He could ask us the same question. Where were you? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you think you have so much understanding. See, nobody witnessed the creation. God requires faith. And some people will tell you, well, you know, the world evolved over a period of time. Evolution is just a pure fantasy. Let me give you an example. You know, I heard a, a story of a group of people who were visiting a, a museum, and they had a dinosaur on display. And so this guy was showing these, these uh, folks about this dinosaur. And he said, you know, these scientists found one bone, one dinosaur bone, and they were able to To take that one bone and recreate this huge dinosaur that you see before you right now from that one bone, and this this magnificent uh, replica of that dinosaur, uh, that dinosaur actually lived two million years and two million and six years ago. That's what it was. Two million and six years ago, and one guy in that group said, "Well, how do you know this dinosaur lived?" Two million and six years ago, he said. Well, when I first came to work here six years ago, they told me he'd been here six million. I mean, two million years. So that's two million and six years old. That's how old he is. I remember being in Pennsylvania. I was eating at a fast food restaurant, and I got into a conversation with a guy who believed in evolution. And we were we were in a checkout line. Intense conversation. He looked at me. He said, "He said, you see your hand." He said, it looks just like the hand of a monkey. The same type of structure. You don't see the similarity? I said, did you look out in the parking lot? There are a lot of cars that look a lot alike. There are compact cars. There are SUVs. There's pickup trucks. And there's tractor trailers. Are you telling me that that tractor trailer evolved from a compact car? They're similar. No, they're similar because there was a good design. And the designer used it over. Because it fit the purpose. The Bible says that God spoke this universe into existence. He made this world out of nothing. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says, In the beginning, God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Now that's power. Someone said there's three types of atomic bombs, three sizes there's big, there's bigger, and then there's where is everybody? Well, God's word is more powerful than an atomic bomb. God's word can speak the world into existence when He says, "Let there be light," there was light. God can create this world by the power of His word, and you know what? He can also recreate in you a clean heart through the power of His word. That's what God does, J. Vernon McGee said this, and I I like to listen to J. Vernon McGee, but he said, he, tried, he said, I stopped trying to defend the existence of God. Instead of giving messages from the Bible, he said, I decided to let the Bible speak for itself because there's power in the Word of God. And this is what he said. There are lots of people who are blind as bats today who say, I want it proven to me. He said, if you want proof, turn from your sin and turn to Christ in faith, and then you can see. So many need to see before they have faith. He said, but until you have faith, you'll never see. Faith. And so he quit trying to argue about it. That's why I'm not giving you a lot of evidence, because the evidence is there. Let me give you another thing. There's confidence of faith. There's the content of faith. There's comprehension of faith. But then there's the cultivation of faith. You might be asking, well, how can I increase my faith? I'm struggling in my faith. You might be like the man in Luke chapter 9. His son was a demon-possessed guy. And he brought the the, the demoniac to Jesus and the disciples couldn't cure him. And he said, he was just begging Jesus, "Can can you help my son? And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And when Jesus said that, I think it was like somebody dropped a boulder on that guy because his faith was shaky. He was struggling in his faith. And then he cried out, I think, to Jesus again. He said, Lord, I do believe. But help my unbelief. And when you're struggling with your faith, you need to turn to God's word. If you want to cultivate faith in your life, you need to go to God's Word. Write this verse down. Romans 10:17 says this: faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Do you want to increase your faith? Go to the source. D.L. Moody was a great evangelist, and he had a lot of faith. But this is what D.L. Moody gave in a testimony. He said, in my younger years, I used to pray and ask God for faith. He said, I used to beg God for faith. I used to pray for faith. I used to plead with God to give me faith. I was weak in the faith. He said, but then I discovered Romans ten seventeen, faith.'" comes by hearing and the hearing by the word of God. D.L. Moody said, I stopped praying and asking God for faith. And I began to saturate myself with the word of God. And then I found faith welling up in me. Do you want the power of faith in your life? Go to God's word. Stop pursuing faith and start pursuing Christ. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So there is a there is this way that we cultivate faith, and it's by the word of God. And I'll give you one last thing. There's a conduct of faith. Hebrews ten thirty eight says, and it's in the previous chapter. Now the just shall live by faith, and the emphasis is on live. We are to live by faith. Faith is an active part of our life. In 2 Corinthians chapter five verse seven, it says, "For we walk by." Faith and not by sight. Now you can choose to live your life one or two ways. You can live by sight or you can live by faith. You can choose. But most of the, re- most of the reason why we don't live by faith, and re- one reason why we don't obey God is because we don't believe. Let me give you an example. How many of you have ever seen a sign hanging on a wall that says, "Wet paint, don't touch." When you see that sign, what is the thing that you know you're going to do? You're going to touch it. And why do you do that? Because you don't believe the sign. And so you don't believe, so you disobey. The reason that we don't obey God sometimes is because we don't believe. We don't have faith. We don't trust. I don't know how many times I've heard somebody say, well, that's a man of faith. Or that's a woman of faith. I want to ask you a question. How many people do you really know who live by faith? How many people do you know who are willing to go where God says go? How many people do you know that are willing to do what God says do? Even when it makes no sense. Now, you've got your Bible open and we're not going to read all these verses, but I just want to highlight something. Faith is active and faith obeys. In, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, I'm just going to kind of go through these quick. Hebrews 11:4, 4. By faith, Abel Offered to God a more excellent, excellent sacrifice. Verse 7. By faith, Noah prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Verse 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. Verse 11. By faith, Sarah said, "I also received strength to conceive, and she bore a child when she was past the age. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, he was hidden three months by his parents. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 27, by faith, he forsook Egypt. Verse 29, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. Verse 30, for by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they encircled them seven days. Verse 31, By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe, but when she had received the spies with peace. Did you see what happened? Faith requires obedience. Faith requires action. In every one of those examples, God required them to act in faith. Now some of you don't live in faith because you're living in fear. You're afraid. Let me ask you, do you you think those people you just read about, do you think there were no risk? Do you think there were no challenges? Do you think there there was never a doubt? Do you think Abraham never questioned God about what he was telling him to do? But God wants you to exercise your faith by trusting Him. Let me ask you a few questions. What would you attempt to do for God if you knew you could not fail? What risk would you be willing to take for Christ if you knew He told you to? Would you teach a connect group? Would you lead a small group? Would you go on a mission trip to a place that frightens you? What would you be willing to do? I asked myself, have I ever really done anything by faith? Because most of the time it's not that way. I began to reflect on a time in 2003, I was supposed to put a medical team together to go to West Africa. And I remember it like it was yesterday. My job was to get doctors and nurses and Lynn's job was to get medical permission. I've shared this with you before. She was working on medical clearance. I was working on getting the team put together. And by June of 2003, six months before we were supposed to go on this trip, I had zero doctors and zero nurses. And I remember sitting in my office that day and I said, Lord, if you want this to happen, you're going to have to provide because we don't have anybody. And I'm, I'm, I'm not making this up. I wish, I mean, I've got all the... Details. People started calling me from all over, from Tennessee, Georgia, Louisiana, Texas, Florida, North Carolina, asking to be part of our trip. I don't even even know how they heard about it. And it's amazing how God began to assemble this team, and it was all done by faith, because it had nothing to do with me or our team. God put everybody together, the pieces. It's amazing. By far, the most miraculous trip I've ever been on. I met these people in the airport, never met them face-to-face until we met in the airport. I mean, they, sent, they sent me all their money to this trip and they'd never even met me. I remember one lady said, hey, can we put everybody's picture on a Facebook page so we can kind of know what everybody looks like? And so I put mine up first and her first comment was, you're looking a lot younger than I thought you would. <laughs> and that was faith on her part. But here goes where the faith came in. The day before we left and I've shared this with you because every time Kay McGirt comes, I tell you, the day before we left, Ken, Lynn Kennedy called me and said, we don't have medical clearance. I said, uh-oh, that's not good. So I called the embassy in Burkina Faso and told him what the scenario was and that we were taking a medical team. I had 12 foot lockers full of meds. And he just said, listen, if you get arrested in Burkina Faso, there's very little we can do to help you. And if you go to jail there, you're going to be there a while. And I thought, that is not good. So I notified our team. We had 14 people signed up. Two dropped out. The other 12 continued. And we met in the airport in Atlanta. Had a five-hour drive from Dillon to Atlanta. We all met together in Atlanta. We prayed together. We had a 10-hour flight from there to Paris. And then from there, we had a a four-hour layover and then a six-hour flight from Paris to Ouagadougou in Burkina Faso. We had a lot of time to think about it. A lot of time to pray about it. And I remember when we landed in Burkina Faso, I put my feet on that ground in West Africa and I thought, I think this is the first time in my life I've really ever lived by faith. You know, I wasn't nervous. I was uncertain, but I wasn't scared. It wasn't because I'm such a faithful person. It's because of God's Holy Spirit enabled me at that moment. And I remember going through customs and I was standing in line. I'm thinking, this is the moment of truth. Because there's no way I can hide 12 foot lockers. And I'm standing in line and all of a sudden Lynn looks through the window and she holds up a piece of paper and she did thumbs up. We had gotten medical clearance two hours before we landed. Now, we had to go in faith. And let me just say this. Anything God calls you to do, He is going to call you to do it by faith. Always. By faith. Let me ask you, are you putting your faith in God? What are you willing to do? If God asks you to do something, would you be willing to walk it? If God asks you to go in faith. And so as the invitation. It's really simple this morning. Maybe you're here and you just never put your faith in Christ. You think you put your faith in your own goodness, but you've never trusted Christ, and maybe you realize today you need to do that. Romans 5 1 says that we are justified by faith. And we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all know Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 better than I do, probably, for by grace you've been saved. Through faith, and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul writes another verse in 2 Corinthians 13:5 that really speaks to us. He said, "Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Are you in the faith? Second, response that you can have this morning is maybe you realize you're not living in faith but you're living in fear and maybe today you just need to come and ask God to help you live in faith maybe you're here this morning and your faith is weak because you just have been, been ignoring God's word and maybe this morning you need to make a fresh commitment to immerse yourself in God's word and let him through his word strengthen your faith Maybe today you know God's kind of instructed you to do some things, but you haven't been willing to do it. And maybe today you say, God, I surrender. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. Even when I don't like it at times. Even when it's not comfortable. Even when it sometimes looks risky. I'm going to obey you. Maybe that's what you need to do. I want to encourage you to respond this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for giving us the evidence to believe. Lord, I do know that sometimes you challenge us because you tell us to obey even when it's not easy, even when it doesn't make sense. We know that whatever you call us to, you're going to call us to do by faith. And so, Lord, help us to be obedient. Help us to take you at your word and believe you when you say something. Help us to trust you with our own lives. Lord, we put our trust in so many things that are insignificant and unreliable. Lord, help us to put our trust in you and your word and trust you with the outcome. So this morning, whatever you're dealing in people's hearts, I just pray people will respond. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our song of invitation this morning? You respond as the Lord leads you. to every question, the one solution.